Chapter Three of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which certain other persons are introduced on the same terms as in the last chapter. Mention has already been made more than once of a certain dragon who swung and creaked complainingly before the village alehouse door. A faded and ancient dragon he was, and many a wintry storm of rain, snow, sleet, and hail had changed his colour from a gaudy blue to a faint lacklustre shade of grey. But there he hung, rearing in a state of monstrous imbecility, on his hind legs, waxing with every month that passed, so much more dim and shapeless that as you gazed at him on one side of the signboard it seems as if he may be gradually melting through it and coming out upon the other he was a courteous and considerate dragon too or had been in his distincter days for in the midst of his rampant feebleness he kept one of his forepaws near his nose as though he would say don't mind me it's only my fun while he held the other out in polite and hospitable entreaty indeed it must be conceded to the whole brood of dragons of modern times that they have made a great advance in civilization and refinement they no longer demand a beautiful virgin for breakfast every morning with as much regularity as any tame single gentleman expects his hot roll but rest content with the society of idle bachelors and roving married men and they are now remarkable rather for holding aloof from the softer sex and discouraging their visits especially on saturday nights than for rudely insisting on their company without any reference to their inclinations as they are known to have done in days of yore nor is this tribute to the reclaimed animals in question so wide a digression into the realms of natural history as it may be at first sight appear to be for the present business of these pages in with the dragon who had his retreat in mr pecksniff's neighbourhood and that courteous animal being already on the carpet there is nothing in the way of its immediate transaction for many years then he had swung and creaked and flapped himself about before the two windows of the best bedroom of that house of entertainment to which he lent his name but never in all his swinging creaking and flapping had there been such a stir within its dingy precincts as on the evening next after that upon which the incidents detailed in the last chapter occurred when there was such a hurrying up and down the stairs of feet such a glancing of lights such a whispering of voices such a smoking and sputtering of wood newly lighted in a damp chimney such an airing of linen such a scorching smell of hot warming-pans such a domestic bustle to do in short as never dragon griffin unicorn or other animal of that species presided over since they first began to interest themselves in household affairs an old gentleman and a young lady travelling unattended in a rusty old chariot with post-horses coming nobody knew whence and going nobody knew whither had turned out of the high road and driven unexpectedly to the blue dragon and here was the old gentleman who had taken this step by reason of his sudden illness in the carriage suffering the most horrible cramps and spasms yet protesting and vowing in the very midst of his pain that he would have a doctor sent for and wouldn't take any remedies but those which the young lady administered from a small medicine chest and wouldn't in a word do anything but terrify the landlady out of her five wits and obstinately refuse compliance with every suggestion that was made to him of all the five hundred proposals for his relief which the good woman poured out in less than half an hour he would entertain but one that was he should go to bed and it was in the preparation of his bed and the arrangement of his chamber that all the stir was made in the room behind the dragon 
he was beyond all question very ill and suffered exceedingly not the less perhaps because he was a strong vigorous old man with a will of iron and a voice of brass but neither the apprehensions which he plainly entertained at times for his life nor the great pain he underwent influenced his resolution in the least degree he would have no person sent for the worse he grew the more rigid and inflexible he became in his determination if they sent for any person to attend him man woman or child he would leave the house directly so he told them though he quitted it on foot and died upon the threshold of the door now there being no medical practitioner actually resident in the village but a poor apothecary who was also a grocer and general dealer the landlady had upon her own responsibility sent for him in the very first burst and outset of the disaster of course it followed as a necessary result of his being wanted that he was not at home he had gone some miles away and was not expected home until late at night so the landlady being by this time pretty well beside herself dispatched the same messenger in all haste for mr pecksniff as a learned man who could bear a deal of responsibility and a moral man who could administer a world of comfort to a troubled mind that her guest had need of some efficient services under the latter head was obvious enough from the restless expressions importing however rather a worldly than a spiritual anxiety to which he gave frequent utterance from this last-mentioned secret errand the messenger returned with no better news than from the first mr pecksniff was not at home however they got the patient into bed without him and in the course of two hours he gradually became so far better that there were much longer intervals than at first between his terms of suffering by degrees he ceased to suffer at all though his exhaustion was occasionally so great that it suggested hardly less alarm than his actual endurance had done it was in one of his intervals of repose when looking round with great caution and reaching uneasily out of his nest of pillows he endeavoured with a strange air of secrecy and distrust to make use of the writing materials which he had ordered to be placed on a table beside him that the young lady and the mistress of the blue dragon found themselves sitting side by side before the fire in the sick chamber the mistress of the blue dragon was in outward appearance just what a landlady should be broad buxom comfortable and good-looking with a face of clear red and white which by its jovial aspect at once bore testimony to a hearty participation in the good things of the larder and cellar and to their thriving and healthful influences she was a widow but years ago had passed through her state of weeds and burst into flower again and in full bloom she had continued ever since and in full bloom she was now with roses on her ample skirts and roses on her bodice roses in her cap roses in her cheeks ay and roses worth the gathering too on her lips for that matter she had still a bright black eye and jet black hair was comely dimpled plump tight as a gooseberry and though she was not exactly what the world calls young you may make an affidavit on trust before any mayor or magistrate in christendom that there are a great many young ladies in the world blessings on them one and all whom you wouldn't like half as well or admire half as much as the beaming hostess of the blue dragon as this fair matron sat beside the fire she glanced occasionally with all the pride of ownership about the room which was a large apartment such as one may see in country places with a low roof and a sunken flooring all downhill from the door and a descent of two steps on the inside so exquisitely unexpected that strangers despite the most elaborate cautioning usually dived head first as into a plunging bath 
it was none of your frivolous and preposterously bright bedrooms where nobody can close an eye with any kind of propriety or decent regard to the association of ideas but it was a good dull leaden drowsy place where every article of furniture reminded you that you came there to sleep and that you were expected to go to sleep there was no wakeful reflection of the fire there as in your modern chambers which upon the darkest nights have a watchful consciousness of french polish the old spanish mahogany winked at it now and then as a dozing cat or a dog might nothing more the very size and shape and hopeless immovability of the bedstead and wardrobe and in a minor degree of even the chairs and tables provoked sleep they were plainly apoplectic and disposed to snore there were no staring portraits to remonstrate with you for being lazy no round-eyed birds upon the curtains disgustingly wide awake and insufferably prying the thick neutral hangings and the dark blinds and the heavy heap of bedclothes were all designed to hold in sleep and act as non-conductors of the day and getting up even the old stuffed fox upon the top of the wardrobe was devoid of any spark of vigilance for his glass eye had fallen out and he slumbered as he stood the wandering attention of the mistress of the blue dragon roved to these things but twice or thrice and then but for an instant at a time it soon deserted them and even the distant bed with its strange burden for the young creature immediately before her who with her downcast eyes intently fixed upon the fire sat wrapped in silent meditation she was very young apparently no more than seventeen timid and shrinking in her manner and yet with a greater share of self-possession and control over her emotions than usually belongs to a far more advanced period of female life this she had abundantly shown but now in her attending of the sick gentleman she was short in stature and her figure was slight as became her years but all the charms of youth and maidenhood set it off and clustered on her gentle brow her face was very pale in part no doubt from recent agitation her dark brown hair disordered from the same cause had fallen negligently from its bonds and hung upon her neck for which instance of its waywardness no male observer would have had the heart to blame it her attire was that of a lady but extremely plain and in her manner even when she sat as still as she did then there was an indefinable something which appeared to be in kindred with her scrupulously unpretending dress she had sat at first looking anxiously towards the bed but seeing that the patient remained quiet and was busy with his writing she had softly moved her chair to its present place partly as it seemed from an instinctive consciousness that he desired to avoid observation and partly that she might unseen by him give some vent to the natural feelings she had hitherto suppressed of all this and much more the rosy landlady of the blue dragon took as accurate a note and observation as only women can take of women and at length she said in a voice too low she knew to reach the bed have you seen the gentleman in this way before miss is he used to these attacks i have seen him very ill before but not so ill as he has been to-night what providence said the landlady of the dragon that you have had the prescriptions and the medicines with you miss they are intended for such an emergency we never travel without them oh thought the hostess then we are in the habit of travelling and travelling together she was so conscious of expressing this in her face that meeting the young lady's eyes immediately afterwards and being a very honest hostess she was rather confused the gentleman your grandpa she resumed after a short pause being so bent on having no assistance must terrify you very much miss i've been very much alarmed to-night he he is not my grandfather 
father i should have said returned the hostess sensible of having made an awkward mistake nor my father said the young lady nor she added slightly smiling with a quick perception of what the landlady was going to add nor my uncle we are not related oh dear me returned the landlady still more embarrassed than before how could i have been so very much mistaken knowing as anybody in their proper senses might that when a gentleman is ill he looks so much older than he really is that i should have called you miss too ma'am but when she had proceeded thus far she glanced involuntarily at the third finger of the young lady's left hand and faltered again for there was no ring upon it when i told you we were not related said the other mildly but not without confusion on her own part i meant not in any way not even by marriage did you call me martin call you cried the old man looking quickly up and hurriedly drawing beneath the coverlet the paper on which he had been writing no she had moved a pace or two towards the bed but stopped immediately and went no further no he repeated with a petulant emphasis why do you ask me if i had called you what need for such a question it was the creaking of the sign outside sir i dare say observed the landlady a suggestion by the way as she felt a moment after she had made it not at all complimentary to the voice of the old gentleman no matter what ma'am he rejoined it wasn't i why how you stand there mary as if i had the plague but they're all afraid of me he added leaning helplessly backward on his pillow even she there's a curse upon me what else have i to look for oh dear no oh no i'm sure said the good-tempered landlady rising and going towards him be of better cheer sir these are only sick fancies what are only sick fancies he retorted what do you know about fancies who told you about fancies the old story fancies only see again there how you take one up said the mistress of the blue dragon with unimpaired good humour dear heart alive there is no harm in the word sir if it is an old one folks in good health have their fancies too and strange ones every day harmless as this speech appeared to be it acted on the traveller's distrust like oil on fire he raised his head up in the bed and fixing on her two dark eyes whose brightness was exaggerated by the paleness of his hollow cheeks as they in turn together with his straggling locks of long grey hair were rendered whiter by the tight black velvet skull-cap which he wore he searched her face intently ah you begin too soon he said in so low a voice that he seemed to be thinking it rather than addressing her but you lose no time you do your errand and you earn your fee now who may be your client the landlady looked in great astonishment at her whom he called mary and finding no rejoinder in the drooping face looked back again at him at first she had recalled involuntarily supposing him disordered in his mind but the slow composure of his manner and the settled purpose announced of his strong features and gathering most of all about his puckered mouth forbade the supposition come he said tell me who is it being here it is not very hard for me to guess you may suppose martin interposed the young lady laying her hand upon his arm reflect how short a time we have been in this house and that even your name is unknown here unless he said you he was evidently tempted to express a suspicion of her having broken his confidence in favour of the landlady but either remembering her tender nursing or being moved in some sort by her face he checked himself and changing his uneasy posture in the bed was silent there said mrs lupin for in that name the blue dragon was licensed to furnish entertainment both to man and beast now you will be well again sir you forgot for the moment that there were none but friends here oh cried the old man moaning impatiently as he tossed one restless arm upon the coverlet 
why do you talk to me of friends can you or anybody teach me to know who are my friends and who are my enemies at least urged mrs lupin gently this young lady is your friend i am sure she has no temptation to be otherwise cried the old man like one whose hope and confidence were utterly exhausted i suppose she is oh heaven knows there let me try to sleep leave the candle where it is as they retired from the bed he drew forth the writing which had occupied him so long and holding it in the flame of the taper burnt it to ashes that done he extinguished the light and turning his face away with a heavy sigh drew the coverlet about his head and lay quite still this destruction of the paper both as being strangely inconsistent with the labour he had devoted to it and as involving considerable danger of fire to the dragon occasioned mrs lupin not a little consternation but the young lady evincing no surprise curiosity or alarm whispered her with many thanks for her solicitude and company that she would remain there some time longer and that she begged her not to share her watch as she was well used to being alone and would pass the time in reading mrs lupin had her full share and dividend of that large capital of curiosity which is inherited by her sex and at another time might have been difficult to impress this hint upon her as to induce her to take it but now in sheer wonder and amazement at these mysteries she withdrew at once and repairing straight away to her own little parlour below stairs sat down in her easy-chair with unnatural composure at this very crisis a step was heard in the entry and mr pecksniff looking sweetly over the half-door of the bar and into the vista of snug privacy beyond murmured good evening mrs lupin oh dear me sir she cried advancing to receive him i'm so very glad you have come and i am very glad i have come said mr pecksniff if i can be of service i am very glad i have come what is the matter mrs lupin a gentleman taken ill upon the road has been so very bad upstairs sir said the tearful hostess a gentleman taken ill upon the road has been so very bad upstairs has he repeated mr pecksniff well well now there was nothing that one may call decidedly original in this remark nor can it be exactly said to have contained any wise precept therefore unknown to mankind or to have opened any hidden source of consolation but mr pecksniff's manner was so bland and he nodded his head so soothingly and showed in everything such an affable sense of his own excellence that anybody would have been as mrs lupin was comforted by the mere voice and presence of such a man and though he had merely said a verb must agree with its nominative case in number and person my good friend or eight times eight are sixty-four my worthy soul must have felt deeply grateful to him for his humanity and wisdom and how asked mr pecksniff drawing off his gloves and warming his hands before the fire as benevolently as if they were somebody else's not his and how is he now he is better and quite tranquil answered mrs lupin he is better and quite tranquil said mr pecksniff very well very well here again though the statement was mrs lupin's and not mr pecksniff mr pecksniff made it his own and consoled her with it it was not much when mrs lupin said it but it was a whole book when mr pecksniff said it i observe he seemed to say and through me morality in general remarks that he is better and quite tranquil there must be weighty matters on his mind though said the hostess shaking her head for he talks sir in the strangest way you ever heard he is far from easy in his thoughts and wants some proper advice from those whose goodness makes it worth his having then said mr pecksniff 
he is the sort of customer for me but though he said this in the plainest language he didn't speak a word he only shook his head disparagingly of himself too i'm afraid sir continued the landlady first looking round to assure herself there was nobody within hearing and then looking down upon the floor i am very much afraid sir that his conscience is troubled by his not being related to or or even married to a very young lady mrs lupin said mr pecksniff holding up his hand with something in his manner as nearly approaching to severity as any expression of his mild being that he was could ever do person young person a very young person said mrs lupin curtsying and blushing beg your pardon sir but i've been so hurried to-night that i don't know what i say who is with him now who is with him now ruminated mr pecksniff warming his back as he had warmed his hands as if it were a widow's back or an orphan's back or an enemy's back or a back that any less excellent man would have suffered to be cold oh dear me dear me at the same time i am bound to say and i do say with all my heart observed the hostess earnestly that her looks and manner almost disarm suspicion your suspicion mrs lupin said mr pecksniff gravely is very natural touching which remark let it be written down to their confusion that the enemies of this worthy man unblushingly maintained that he always said of what was very bad that if it was very natural and that he unconsciously betrayed his own nature in doing so your suspicion mrs lupin he repeated is very natural and i have no doubt correct i will wait upon these travellers with that he took off his greatcoat and having run his fingers through his hair thrust one hand gently in the bosom of his waistcoat and meekly signed her to lead the way shall i knock asked mrs lupin when they reached the chamber door no said mr pecksniff enter if you please they went in on tiptoe or rather the hostess took that precaution for mr pecksniff always walked softly the old gentleman was still asleep and his young companion still sat reading by the fire i am afraid said mr pecksniff pausing at the door and giving his head a melancholy roll i am afraid that this looks artful i am afraid mrs lupin do you know that this looks very artful as he finished this whisper he advanced before the hostess and at the same time the young lady hearing his footsteps rose mr pecksniff glanced at the volume she held and whispered to mrs lupin again if possible with increased despondency yes ma'am he said it's a good book i was fearful of that beforehand i am apprehensive that this is a very deep thing indeed what gentleman is this inquired the object of his virtuous doubts hush don't trouble yourself ma'am said mr pecksniff as the landlady was about to answer this young in spite of himself he hesitated when person rose to his lips and substituted another word this young stranger mrs lupin will excuse me for replying briefly that i reside in this village it may be in an influential manner however undeserved and that i have been summoned here by you i am here as i am everywhere i hope in sympathy for the sick and sorry with these impressive words mr pecksniff passed over to the bedside where after patting the counterpane once or twice in a very solemn manner as if by that means he gained a clear insight into the patient's disorder he took his seat in a large armchair and in an attitude of some thoughtfulness and much comfort waited for his waking whatever objection the young lady urged to mrs lupin went no further for nothing more was said to mr pecksniff and mr pecksniff said nothing more to anybody else 
full half an hour elapsed before the old man stirred but at length he turned himself in bed and though not yet awake gave tokens that his sleep was drawing to an end by little and little he removed the bedclothes from about his head and turned still more towards the side where mr pecksniff sat in course of time his eyes opened and he lay for a few moments as people newly roused sometimes will gazing indolently at his visitor without any distinct consciousness of his presence there was nothing remarkable in these proceedings except the influence they worked upon mr pecksniff which could hardly have been surpassed by the most marvellous of natural phenomena gradually his hands became tightly clasped upon the elbows of the chair his eyes dilated with surprise his mouth opened his hair stood more erect upon his forehead than its custom was until at length when the old man rose in bed and stared at him with scarcely less emotion than he showed himself pecksniff's doubts were all resolved and he exclaimed aloud you are martin chuzzlewit his consternation of surprise was so genuine that the old man with all the disposition that he clearly entertained to believe it assumed was convinced of its reality i am martin chuzzlewit he said bitterly and martin chuzzlewit wishes you had been hanged before you had come here to disturb him in his sleep why i dreamed of this fellow he said lying down again and turning away his face before i knew that he was near me my good cousin said mr pecksniff there his very first words cried the old man shaking his grey head and to and fro upon the pillow and throwing up his hands in his very first words he asserts his relationship i knew he would they all do it near or distant blood or water it's all one yeah what a calendar of deceit and lying false witnessing the sound of any word of kindred opens before me pray do not be hasty mr chuzzlewit said pecksniff in a tone that was at once the sublimest degree of compassionate and dispassionate for he had by this time recovered from his surprise and was in full possession of his virtuous self you will regret being hasty i know you will you know said martin contemptuously yes retorted mr pecksniff ay ay mr chuzzlewit and don't imagine that i mean to court or flatter you for nothing is further from my intention neither sir need you entertain the least misgiving that i shall repeat that obnoxious word which has given you much offence already why should i what do i expect or want from you there is nothing in your possession that i know of mr chuzzlewit which is much to be coveted for the happiness it brings you that's true enough muttered the old man apart from that consideration said mr pecksniff watchful of the effect he made it must be plain to you i am sure by this time that if i had wished to insinuate myself into your good opinion i should have been of all things careful not to address you as a relative knowing your humour and being quite certain beforehand that i could not have a worse letter of recommendation martin made not any verbal answer but he as clearly implied though only by a motion of his legs beneath the bedclothes that there was reason in this and that he could not dispute it as if he had said as much in good set terms no said mr pecksniff keeping his hand in his waistcoat as though he were already on the shortest notice to produce his heart for martin chuzzlewit's inspection i came here to offer my services to a stranger i make no offer of them to you because i know you would distrust me if i did but lying on that bed sir i regard you as a stranger and i have just that amount of interest in you which i hope i should feel in any stranger circumstanced as you are beyond that i am quite as indifferent to you mr chuzzlewit as you are to me having said which mr pecksniff threw himself back in the easy-chair so radiant with ingenuous honesty 
that mrs lupin almost wondered not to see a stained-glass glory such as the saint wore in the church shining about his head a long pause succeeded the old man with increased restlessness changed his posture several times mrs lupin and the young lady gazed in silence at the counterpane mr pecksniff toyed abstractly with his eyeglass and kept his eyes shut that he might ruminate the better ah, he said at last opening them suddenly and looking towards the bed i beg your pardon i thought you spoke mrs lupin he continued slowly rising i am not aware that i can be of any service to you here the gentleman is better and you are as good a nurse as he can have eh? this last note of interrogation bore reference to another change of posture on the old man's part which brought his face towards mr pecksniff for the first time since he had turned away from him if you desire to speak to me before i go sir continued that gentleman after another pause you may command my leisure but i must stipulate in justice to myself that you do so as to a stranger strictly as to a stranger now if mr pecksniff knew from anything martin chuzzlewit had expressed in gestures that he wanted to speak to him he could only have found it out on some such principle as prevails in melodramas and in virtue of which the elderly farmer with a comic son always knows what the dumb girl means when she takes refuge in his garden and relates her personal memoirs in an incomprehensible pantomime but without stopping to make any inquiry on this point martin chuzzlewit signed for his young companion to withdraw which she immediately did along with the landlady leaving him and mr pecksniff alone together for some time they looked at each other in silence or rather the old man looked at mr pecksniff and mr pecksniff again closing his eyes on all outward objects took an inward survey of his own breast that it amply repaid him for his trouble and afforded a delicious and enchanting prospect was clear from the expression on his face do you wish me to speak to you as a total stranger said the old man do you mr pecksniff replied by a shrug of his shoulders and an apparent turning round of his eyes in their sockets before he opened them that he was still reduced to the necessity of entertaining that desire you shall be gratified said martin sir i am a rich man not so rich as some suppose perhaps but yet wealthy i am not a miser sir even though that charge is made against me as i hear and currently believed i have no pleasure in hoarding i have no pleasure in the possession of money the devil that we call by that name can give me nothing but unhappiness it would be no description of mr pecksniff's gentleness of manner to adopt the common parlance and say that he looked at this moment as if butter wouldn't melt in his mouth he rather looked as if any quantity of butter might have been made out of him by churning the milk of human kindness as it spouted upwards from his heart for the same reason that i am not a hoarder of money said the old man i am not lavish of it some people find their gratification in storing it up and others theirs in parting with it but i have no gratification connected with the thing pain and bitterness are the only goods it could ever procure for me i hate it it's like a spectre walking before me through the world and making every social pleasure hideous a thought rose in pecksniff's mind which must have instantly mounted to his face or martin chuzzlewit would not have resumed as quickly and as sternly as he did you would advise me for my peace of mind to get rid of this source of misery and transfer it to some one who could bear it better even you perhaps would rid me of a burden under which i suffer so grievously but kind stranger said the old man whose every feature darkened as he spoke good christian stranger that is the main part of my trouble in other hands i have no money do good 
in other hands i have known it triumphed in and boasted of with reason as the master key to all the brazen gates that close upon the paths to worldly honour fortune and enjoyment to what man or woman to what worthy honest incorruptible creatures shall i confide such a talisman either now or when i die do you know any such person your virtues are of course inestimable but can you tell me of any other living creature who will bear the test of contact with myself of contact with yourself sir echoed mr pecksniff ay returned the old man the test of contact with me with me you have heard of him whose misery the gratification of his own foolish wish was that he turned everything he touched into gold the curse of my existence and the realization of my own mad desire is that by the golden standard which i bear about me i am doomed to try the metal of all other men and find it false and hollow mr pecksniff shook his head and said you think so oh yes cried the old man i think so and in your telling me i think so i recognize the true unworldly ring of your metal i tell you man he added with increasing bitterness that i have gone a rich man among people of all grades and kinds relatives friends and strangers among people in whom when i was poor i had confidence and justly for they never once deceived me then or to me wronged each other but i have never found one nature no not one in which being wealthy and alone i was not forced to detect the latent corruption that lay hid within it waiting for such as i to bring it forth treachery deceit low design hatred of competitors real or fancied for my favour meanness falsehood baseness and servility or and here he looked closely in his cousin's eyes or an assumption of honest independence almost worse than all these are the beauties which my wealth has brought to light brother against brother child against parent friends treading on the faces of friends this is the social company by whom my way has been attended there are stories told they may be true or false of rich men who in the garb of poverty have found out virtue and rewarded it they were dolts and idiots for their pains they should have made the search in their own characters they should have shown themselves fit objects to be robbed and preyed upon and plotted against and adulated by any knaves who but for joy would have spat upon their coffins when they died their dupes and then their search would have ended as mine has done and they would be what i am mr pecksniff not at all knowing what might be best to say in the momentary pause which ensued upon these remarks made an elaborate demonstration of intending to deliver something very oracular indeed trusting to the certainty of the old man interrupting him before he should utter a word nor was he mistaken for martin chuzzlewit having taken breath went on to say hear me to an end judge what profit you are like to gain from any repetition of this visit and leave me i have so corrupted and changed the nature of all those who have ever attended upon me by breeding avaricious plots and hope within them i have engendered such domestic strife and discord by tarrying even with members of my own family i have been such a lighted torch in peaceful homes kindling up all the inflammable gases and vapours in their moral atmosphere which but for me might have proved harmless to the end that i have i might say fled from all who knew me and taking refuge in secret places have lived of late the life of one who is hunted the young girl whom you saw just now saw what your eye lightens when i talk of her you hate her already do you 
upon my word sir said mr pecksniff laying his hand upon his breast and dropping his eyelids i forgot cried the old man looking at him with a keenness which the other seemed to feel although he did not raise his eyes so as to see it i ask your pardon i forgot you were a stranger for the moment you reminded me of one pecksniff a cousin of mine as i was saying the young girl whom you saw just now is an orphan child whom with one steady purpose i have bred and educated or if you prefer the word adopted for a year or more she has been my constant companion and she is my only one i have taken as she knows a solemn oath never to leave her a sixpence when i die but while i live i make her an annual allowance not extravagant in its amount and yet not stinted there is a compact between us that no term of affectionate cajolery shall ever be addressed by either to the other but that she shall call me always by my christian name and i by hers she is bound to me in life by ties of interest and losing by my death and having no expectation disappointed will mourn it perhaps though for that i care little this is the only kind of friend i have or will have judge from such premises what a profitable hour you have spent in coming here and leave me to return no more with these words the old man fell slowly back upon his pillow mr pecksniff slowly rose and with a prefatory hem mr chuzzlewit there go interposed the other enough of this i am weary of you i am sorry for that sir rejoined mr pecksniff because i have a duty to discharge from which depend upon it i shall not shrink no sir i shall not shrink it is a lamentable fact that as mr pecksniff stood erect beside the bed in all the dignity of goodness and addressed him thus the old man cast an angry glance towards the candlestick as if he were possessed by a strong inclination to launch it at his cousin's head but he constrained himself and pointing with his finger to the door informed him that his road lay there thank you said mr pecksniff i am aware of that i am going but before i go i crave your leave to speak and more than that mr chuzzlewit i must and i will yes indeed i repeat it must and will be heard i am not surprised sir at anything you have told me to-night it is natural very natural and the greater part of it was known to me before i will not say continued mr pecksniff drawing out his pocket-handkerchief and winking with both eyes at once as it were against his will i will not say that you are mistaken in me while you are in your present mood i would not say so for the world i almost wish indeed that i had a different nature that i might repress even this slight confession of weakness which i cannot disguise from you which i feel is humiliating but which you will have the goodness to excuse we will say if you please added mr pecksniff with great tenderness of manner that it arises from a cold in the head or is attributable to snuff or smelling salts or onions or anything but the real cause here he paused for an instant and concealed his face behind his pocket-handkerchief then smiling faintly and holding the bed furniture with one hand he resumed but mr chuzzlewit while i am forgetful of myself i owe it to myself and to my character i sir and i have a character which is very dear to me and will be the best inheritance of my two daughters to tell you on behalf of another that your conduct is wrong unnatural indefensible monstrous and i tell you sir said mr pecksniff towering on tiptoe among the curtains as if he were literally rising above all worldly considerations and were fain to hold on tight to keep himself from darting skyward like a rocket i tell you without fear or favour 
but it will not do for you to be unmindful of your grandson young martin who has the strongest natural claim upon you it will not do sir repeated mr pecksniff shaking his head you may think it will do but it won't you must provide for that young man you shall provide for him you will provide for him i believe said mr pecksniff glancing at the pen and ink that in secret you have already done so bless you for doing so bless you for doing right sir bless you for hating me and good-night so saying mr pecksniff waved his right hand with much solemnity and once more inserting it in his waistcoat departed there was emotion in his manner but his step was firm subject to human weaknesses he was upheld by conscience martin lay for some time with an expression on his face of silent wonder not unmixed with rage at length he muttered in a whisper what does this mean can the false-hearted boy have chosen such a tool as yonder fellow who has just gone out why not he has conspired against me like the rest and they are all but birds of one feather a new plot a new plot oh self 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 at every turn nothing but self he fell to trifling as he ceased to speak with the ashes of the burnt paper in the candlestick he did so at first in pure abstraction but they presently became the subject of his thoughts another will made and destroyed he said nothing determined on nothing done and i might have died to-night i plainly see to what foul uses this money will be put at last he cried almost writhing in the bed after filling me with cares and miseries all my life it will perpetuate discord and bad passions when i am dead so it always is what lawsuits grow out of the graves of rich men every day sowing perjury hatred and lies among the near kindred where there should be nothing but love heaven help us we have much to answer for oh self 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 every man for himself and no creature for me universal self was there nothing of its shadow in these reflections and in the history of martin chuzzlewit on his own showing End of chapter three